If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today is Trish Braithwaite. Trish is a jumping, eventing and dressage specialist, coach, trainer and she's also a dressage judge. How are you today, Trish? Great, Glenna. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Looking forward to this now. So, Trish, we normally start off with a favourite quote. What have you got for us? Well, I do actually have a little bit of a think about that. I don't have a favourite quote per se, but you know what? Everything that comes out of the mouth of George Morris is gold. Yes. And I'm always really interested to see things that he says and, and look at the clinics that he runs and the training that he does. It's really inspiring and really fits into how I like to train too. So, yeah, I really love everything from George Morris. Okay. Have you got something, Trish, that you find yourself saying when you're teaching again and again? You know, just something that you find yourself repeating with people. Well, you know, I always like to bring the riders' focus back to their position and how they're sitting on the horse, and that starts with their seat. And then helping them go through a little bit of a checklist regularly when they ride about how they're sitting, they're feeling through their body. I find that's a really great thing to help them then go on to the next thing that they want to do with their horse in that moment, in that training session. Yeah. So, yeah, saying anything about their position mm-hmm. is what I keep coming back to for them. Okay, good, good. Trish, tell us about an early memory. You know, it might have been the first time you were with horses or just something that happened earlier on when you were quite young. You know, I'm sort of trying to think, you know, th- different things happen yeah. to people when they're young. What have you got well, for was, us? Yeah, I was very lucky when I was young. I didn't come from a horsey family. I was the middle child. But um, I guess I don't really have a memory of, but it must have really happened to my parents a lot. And I remember when I was about three years old, my father took me to try out horse. I think it was only a little pony, but when you're three years old, everything seems enormous to you. And I just jumped on its back and off I went. I had no idea what I was doing. And my father didn't know anything either. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and that was the beginning of, of my yeah of my life really. And mm. so you bought the pony. Oh, I guess the the pony. Yeah, I think it was seventeen years young when we got it. Lived <laughs> through to about thirty three and took me through some pony club experiences and gymkhana's and sports days and yeah, really got the ball rolling. And then it's been a succession of um horses from since then yeah 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 well that's a good memory and Mm. good that the pony was so good that you were able to have a great start with it yeah yeah yes very lucky yeah now Trish you know you're a professional coach were you always going to be a professional coach were you always going to have a career with horses or did you go and do something else first what happened well I I rode pretty much constantly until I finished school and and it was very much the practicality of affording it myself and um, finding the time to do it as well with getting a full-time job. So it kind of went out the window for probably about seven years after I finished school. And then I got married, and my um, husband then was um, from the country and what have you. So he was very open to me getting back into the horses, and um, we could afford it together. So 
I yeah, haven't looked back since then. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed riding and competing, and I never really thought about um, being a coach. I had started as a dressage judge before I started coaching. Um, but it was an opportunity when I was living in Southeast Asia through the Equestrian Australia coaching program that they were running over there um, with Chrissy Johnson, Sue Leslie um, came over, and Irene Kelsmarine came over often through that program. And um, I just I just went with that and found that I do actually really enjoy teaching now. And certainly riding is is my first love, but um, now finding that I can help other riders find their way too has been yeah, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. What do you think if someone would like to be a coach and say they haven't got a lot of knowledge yet, you know, but they're happy to um, to get that knowledge, what do you think they need? as a core skills or character trait to get started within the horse industry or within the coaching, to have a coaching career? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a think about this, and I think it's very much depends on the person themselves. For me, it has been not just being a coach and learning those skills about coaching, um, also learning a lot about a psychology and how to help um, people learn in different ways you can do that but also developing your, your skills into a business and then having some business now. And, um, yeah, I think you, there's not one particular area that we can go to for our training, developing our skills. I think we have to go to a few different areas mm. to learn how to, how to run our business as a whole as a coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you're saying, the psychology and the skills are, um, are things that can be learned and should be learned, you know, because if you're running a small business, you know, sometimes people will go into a career, but it is a career coaching. It's not necessarily a career running their own business, but they've still got to have the career progression and, you know, the professional develop to keep going on and, and getting better within their career. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you're a bold business operator, more like many coaches are, up to you to, to make sure that you're doing that professional development and, mm. and guiding your own career yourself. And yeah, no one's really going to, nobody's really going to do it for you. That's right. It's not just about, I want to be a better rider, but you know, I want to be a better rider. I want to be a better coach and, and to be increasing your teaching skills and your awareness, but then also to be increasing your business skills as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And we forget about that you know, we need to make a make our way in life and pay for things and yeah, developing our yeah. business is a really important thing as well. Yep, yep. Mm. What do you think then is the best thing about working in the horse industry and having a business in the horse industry? Oh, yeah. Well, me, I wouldn't give it up for the world, you know. I don't think it's going to make any of us coaches particularly a millionaire, but um, being out in the environment, being out in these beautiful days in, in autumn in Brisbane, it's just magic. And being involved with horses all the time, um, I don't have my own horses anymore. And people are always very surprised when I say that. But I've had my own horses all my life. But since I moved back to Brisbane in the beginning of um, 2009, I haven't had my own horses. But I've had access to, to ride my students' horses mm. and also do some training, and that's been very important. But also been completely fine for me to to not have my own horses and just, yeah, be involved in the training of my students. So, yeah, and, and finding the time and finding the resources financially to have your own horse. I often get asked, you know, by, particularly by parents, or 
how much should we budget? And I don't know, you know, how long is a piece of string? When yeah. it comes to horses, I, I, I really believe that you have to be able to afford to give them everything that they need. Well, not just everything they need, but everything that they um, require to, to be at optimum health and, and, and happiness. So, yeah, it takes a bit of, bit of money to do that. So mm-hmm. it's a commitment. Yeah, yeah, mm. and and bringing in your business mm. skills, you look at something, and 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 I think you do get to a stage as a coach that I suppose I'm, I've been at that stage where I think oh, I don't need a horse, I can ride students' horses, I've always got access to ride, but I choose mm. to have my own horse, you know. But but I think yes. you're right. Yes. I think you get to a stage where people are giving you horses. Can you ride my horse for me? Can you train my horse for me? Can That's you right. do whatever? Right. And I think. And if I you, was, if I was my own horse. Yeah, I mean that would be, uh, you know, how how long it can take for you to mm. to to train your horse every day, or maybe not every day, and um, that takes a lot of time away mm, from for sure. from work. Yeah, and um, as far as to then working, of course, as, as I do, and then I also be sitting in the paddock, <laughs> yes, having a nice life, yes, yeah, yes. not doing very much, so yeah. yeah. Okay, now tell us about people who've influenced you and helped you in your career. You mentioned a couple early. I think Chrissy Johnson and Sue, which Sue? Sue Chandler, was it? Sue, Sue Leslie. Sue Leslie. And also yep. Susan Cunningham. Yeah, yep. have been really instrumental in me becoming a coach and developing my um, coaching skills. Uh, Susie Cunningham and Maureen Beckles Maureen have also helped me in um, my judging career. I've found that, yeah, my professional development in, in development in terms of my writing skills and my um, coaching skills, um, yeah, have been influenced quite a lot by them. But also becoming um, a judge has been the way that I've been able to get out there, not having my own horse, being involved in clubs, being involved in competitions and seeing, you know, who's out there doing stuff. So that's been a really interesting way to, to do that in developing my skills as a coach because not all my students are competitive riders, but those that are, it helps me help them find the progression and the pathway for their training. Yep. yep. So that's been a really interesting thing to do. But not only that, but as part of my professional development, I try to travel every two years and travel overseas to go and to build my um, skills as a rider and as a coach. And I started off in 2012 going to Portugal and um, riding with Rodrigo Matos, who was formerly of the Portuguese School of Equestrian Art, mm-hmm. and of Mogado Lusitano, and getting to know the um, the Iberian breed through him, and also having the opportunity to play around on high-level dressage horses and having a bit of fun with that. Um, as you mentioned in our preamble, I actually went to ride with Anne Gribbons in um, 2014. Um, she looking to be the head of the ground jury at the web this year. So mm-hmm. that was really exciting to see her coming up to do that. But she had come over to Brisbane to do a judge's clinic um, through Equestrian Dressage Queensland here. And she really um, made a lot of sense to me. I love the way that she explained things. And so I thought, well, that's who I'm going to go and ride with this mm. next time that I go over. So I went a month with her in Florida. Yep on little pre-St. George horse that she found there for me to train on them and was where I really found a real job in terms of the way that I ride yep. and also observing her coaching skills was so interesting. Um, but most recently I've been training with Nicole Weiner, who's um, near Hamburg in Germany and um, she came over to do, she comes over a couple of times a year to do clinics here in Australia and I've to 
because but anyway um and then i thought oh i think that's who i'm going with next so i i went and spent um more than a month with her over in um in germany just north yep. of her good good it's a good way to travel you know to have your work-related travel your your pd and your you're still getting out and getting around and seeing the world but you're doing it with um you know very much a horse focus and a yeah yeah Trish, have you had a horse? You did quite well when you're in Asia. Have you got a horse that you think has um, been the main one to influence you, help you in your career? Mm. Well, I had um, come across this thoroughbred um, when I was over um, in Malaysia, and um, I think I got him for free. One of the trainers in Singapore who'd been resting in a store for about six months, and um, he looked like a nice type. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll take him on. And, um, oh, man, that must have been 2000 or 1999, and uh, I kept him for the following mm, 10 years, I suppose. And um, he took me he – he was off the track thoroughbred, and we went from falling over crossrail to, to being the one-star national champions in Malaysia. And um, that was an amazing experience, and I learned a lot with him because he wasn't the most healthy horse and um, just trying to find a way to bring the best of his health out and help him develop in his training and stay strong and, yeah, and, of course, the climate over there is a bit challenging with horses, so that was another another aspect to, to be aware of. And, um, yeah, and it was a very interesting journey to go from nothing to doing, you know, um, a metre 15 show jumping and, and cross and cross country and and I think we, we didn't quite get past medium level dressage but yep. yeah and um, I left him with a very good friend of mine in Malaysia when I left and um, we had a couple of good years with her so yeah he was a very influential horse for me. Do you think that winning that one star national event in Malaysia was your proudest moment or what do you think that is? Well, certainly um, it was the most exciting time because they're developing their adventures there to go to the Asian Games in 2006. And um, being part of the program, even though I wasn't part of the national team, being involved in helping the riders developing their skills and us all coming along the levels together was, was really exciting, really competitive and um, really team building. And um, then to go to the Asian Games in 06, not as a rider, but as a groom, and be in, in Doha, in Qatar, for a month, looking after the inventing horses and experiencing that over there was, yeah, was, was amazing, yeah. And um, one of the benefits, I guess, of being in those kinds of environments where you have access to top trainers and top courses and, and all that kind of education that's a little bit more difficult to, to get involved with. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I'm just thinking about the challenges that you would have faced in Asia. You know, you said the weather's a bit difficult and, you know, your horse wasn't as sound. What do you think, you know, for people that are going into a different country, what do you think is the biggest challenge? Even, I suppose, to come back to Australia, what do you think is the biggest challenge? Not so much to come back to Australia, but to go into a country that you haven't been to before and become involved in the horse industry. Yes, well, certainly being in Malaysia and being around horses in a tropical environment, it's not very horse-friendly and you have to be very careful about monitoring horses' heat levels and, and stress levels and um, uh, electrolytes and things like that and the right kind of feed for that kind of environment. And 
Yeah, so that was interesting and very um, educational in terms of care. The veterinary care for horses over there has developed a lot in the last 20 years and, and seeing that development while I was there was really interesting. Um, going to Florida and being in a very similar environment over there, actually, seeing how the Americans handled their horse care over there. I mean, um, I managed myself in terms of the hot weather here with, with drinking a little bit of powdered Gatorade and water and the environment, they actually feed it to their horses in their mm-hmm. feed. That's quite cheap over there. So that was interesting. They were just give them a scoop of Gatorade yes. in their food and that's their electrolytes mm-hmm. and that's in a, you know, Grand Prix stable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then being in Spain and Portugal and in the cooler climate there and and seeing how, well, and then the, the Iberian horses are a different breed again and seeing how they match their horses from day to day is um, they're interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. They're the, the various places I've been around the world. And, and, and of course, Germany. When I was there, it was terribly wet, very cold. And then very hot as well. Apparently, that's quite typical for Hamburg weather. But yep. Yep. <laughs> and then again, seeing how they, um, well, they had a lot of Icelandic ponies there, which is very fun to to see them and be with them, and also warm bloods and uh, yeah, and of all different kinds. And it was, it was very interesting to experience all those different environments. What would you say to someone who's going into another country, just as a general thing? You know, things to look out for, things to help them if they're going into a different country, different climate, different place to work or to mm. be with, involved in the horse industry, what would be your advice? Well, I think wherever you go, it's best to get involved with good people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the places that I've been have been because of the people that I've met. Yes. And um, having a mentor and having someone to guide you and show you the way is, I think, everything. And um, very important to get involved with good people who are going in the way that you want to go and um, jump in with them. Yeah, so yeah. definitely. Otherwise, you, you're kind of like a bit of a loose end. Yes, yes. It's not just getting involved with the locals, but it's getting involved with the locals that you feel you want to be mentored by so you can go and learn stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And getting out and about and meeting more people and, and different people can really help you find your way and mm. make your own decisions about which direction you want to go with everything. Yep, yep. Now, mm-hmm. Trisha, I know that, you know, you really are very good at talking about the rider's seat and, you you know, that's sort of a, mm. a big specialty area there. If you go in to a new group of riders or you're going to do a clinic, what's a common fault that you see with riders and with their seat and, and how can they fix that? Yeah, well, um, just to start with, Interesting, bold moment that I had myself was when I was training with Anne Gribbons, and um, I was put on the lunge for three days. <laughs> and um, I, fe- I found that hmm, I thought I always knew what my seat was, but I really didn't know. And I had tended to ride on my life like a jumping rider with with good balance, but basically trying to affect the horse with my legs and not so much my seat at all. And that was a real powerful light bulb moment because. I was using leg and I was using leg and I'm like, I don't have any more leg. Where do you go to from here? And now I have found that you forget about your legs most of the time and you ride your horse through your seat. And that doesn't mean power, that just means influence. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of riders these days that yeah, they've had a lot of experience, but not a lot of theoretical knowledge. And they have a lot of good balance, and um, but they're not really aware of what they're doing. And as I was, you know, 
trying to use a lot of leg and more leg and more leg. And I mean, and you eventually get to the point, no more leg in your poor little body to, to, to use on the poor horse. And so help finding a softer, gentler, more effective, actually, the way of, of influencing a horse. And so helping people know what the physicality is of their seat, how to use their seat, how to involve their legs, how to involve their hands to, to have a complete picture of, of great communication through their body to the horse and also receiving the communication from their horse and all the little things their horses are telling them. And then know that circular current of communication is just, yeah, gives me goosebumps when I see that really working <laughs> between the horses and the riders. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Okay. Now, what about a book? Have you got a book that you can recommend? Oh, have I got a book? <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love and I find it's my Bible is um, Suzanne Von Dietz's book, Balance and Movement. Yes. And she explains all of these things. She's a physiotherapist and um, also a writer. And um, she really gets into the nitty-gritty in a very simple and effective way with lots of pictures, simple descriptions about what's the body, how to use it, how it's used, the physics, the biomechanics involved in the person's body and, and how it connects with the horse. And I remember thinking of this years ago, you know, I wonder what, what I could do to study, you know, how the integration between the rider's body goes to the horse's body and, and that continual loop of communication between each other and she really explains all of those things in that book and um, I, I reread it and reread it and um, I have a lot of other books that I should read too but I keep on coming back to this one Do you? to remind yeah. myself of all, yeah. the, all those bits and pieces that are important yeah good good and thinking where are you planning on going next for your travel did you say oh well yes I, I have been mixing it up these last few years and going to places but now that um, I've found Nicole Leinard, I think that she, she's the one I would like to go Nicole, to and train okay, more with. Okay, yeah. Yes, I'm actually hosting her clinic when she comes to Brisbane here yes. in September, so um, that would be a great opportunity to, to get together with her again and then hopefully look at next year, okay. going back over and doing some training with her again, so yeah. What else are you looking forward to? Mm, I think just getting to better weather now. <laughs> We've had a lot of cooler rain weather, in the you mean. This year. Yeah. <laughs> well, cooler weather, yes, and a bit drier weather for yes. a little bit. And yep. um, yeah, getting the year going with um, comps out at Sanford Equestrian Group. Is at, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually a committee member and run their jump clubs on a monthly basis. And um, doing a bit of judging because I'm a C level now, so I can judge up to and including advanced. And um, getting a bit more practice at, at, at my highest level and um, looking to um, update that to, yeah, higher levels in the future too. And, um, yeah, working with my students and helping them find their progression and keep meeting their goals and doing the things that they want to do. So, yep. yeah, just getting on with it really. <laughs> Good. Mm. Now, just thinking about summing up your philosophy with horses, Trish, what would you say if you had to do it in a few sentences? Oh, look, it all has to be about what's best for the horse. And whenever I have a bit of a dilemma with a student or with um, progression of some of the training or what have you, I think, well, what is best for the horse? And I find myself, oh, this is probably a little bit longer than you're working for, but looking after them from the ground up, taking care of their feet, taking care of their nutrition, taking care of their teeth, taking care of their tack, 
and making sure all of that works so then we can go on and do the training yeah and and educating people about how to look after their horses mm. so that is what is what is best for the horse yes absolutely yes Yes, and I think uh, I think it is. It's it's an overall thing. It's no good just coming in, doing a lesson, and then finding out you know that two of the shoes are sort of half off, and you haven't noticed or anything like that. You do a gear check. Exactly. You're checking everything. If someone's horse is underweight, you talk to them about it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because it's a training is a long road, yeah? mm. and you have two steps forward, one step back, and sometimes it's nothing but backward steps. But eventually, you know, you look back six months, 12 months, you think, well, actually, I have been making progression. Yep. And um, helping the riders understand not necessarily about what they want. You know, they might be driven to to be successful in eventing or they really want to do this or that. And I think, well, you know, you've probably not got the right horse for that. How about we find something else for you that mm. will help you find your goals? Because this horse that you have right now doesn't really like jumping, it seems, or or he's not really talented at the dressage. And if that's something that you really want to do, then perhaps you need to find a partner that's going to do that for you. Or maybe you find you really enjoy packing out on a regular basis or doing some lower level stuff. Or it makes me think I had a um, Irish sport horse mare who um, she loved to jump, but jumping on her terms. We did cross country once, and the second time we went to do cross country, she stopped at the first jump. She said, "Oh no, I don't do that." <laughs> and show jumping courses, no problem. But if it was a bit long, you know, out in a big field, you go, "No, no, no I don't do that." Stadium jumping was her thing, okay. and dressage. I'd have to wear these rolling spurs to make a bead <laughs> and do anything in the dressage. She said, no, "I don't do that either." So, um, yeah, trying to try find and make the most of what your horse is good at and what they enjoy, and not just all about yourself yes and making sure you've got the right horse for you and you've got the right person for the horse yeah yeah and how wonderful is that that they go off and enjoy themselves together yes yes yeah Mm. trish how Mm. can people contact you yes well i have um my email address is shut up and ride at Mm trishbraithgate.com.au my phone number is 0427-134-03 Yep. They can also find out a bit more about me on the website, trishbraithwaite.com.au. Good, good. And those details will be on our website as well, which would be horsechats.com slash trishbraithwaite or go to horsechats.com and search for Trish. Yeah. Trish, it's been really good talking to you today. And we've already talked about you coming back and doing a little bit more depth into the rider's seat and what you're doing with vaulting and everything else, which we haven't talked about yes. very much at all today. But no. we're certainly come back and talk about that a lot more that'll be good yeah so looking forward to it and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you very soon okay thank you thank you very much Glennis yes take care if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe if you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests then please contact us through horsechats.com and while you're online have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.